Hi everyone, and welcome to Meet the Masters, a product marketing podcast dedicated to the core strategies of product marketing. My name is Charlie Gale, and I'm a copywriter here at Product Marketing Alliance. PMA is the single largest product marketing community in the world, providing a global platform for new and seasoned PMM professionals to network, learn, and thrive in their careers. In this episode, I spoke to Tamara Graminski, VP of Product Marketing at Kajabi, to discuss all things product pricing. Tamara has tons of experience building product marketing and growth teams that drive go-to-market strategy and revenue acceleration at SMB SaaS companies. Driving revenue through pricing is something we touch on in today's episode, along with what you can learn from the Pricing Certified Masters course we have at PMA, a course that Tamara herself built from her experience and expertise in the field. Hey Tamara, how are you? I'm doing well, how are you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. It's so lovely to have you here. Thanks for having me. So um, I just wanted to jump straight in basically because um, we were talking about how you're the instructor for our new pricing course that we have at Product Marketing Alliance. Um, And I'd like to know a bit more about how you found the process for building the course itself and why you think pricing is such an essential topic for product marketers to learn. Yeah, that's just a great question. So pricing is something that I have spent a lot of time thinking about and talking to other product marketers about. So when I had the opportunity to work with you to build the course, I obviously jumped on it. And the process of building it really was trying to think back of all of those different conversations that I had had with different product marketers and product managers and growth managers and founders and think about the core questions that they really wanted to know around pricing. And really do like the core problems that people were trying to solve when they did a pricing exercise, including, you know, those stories I'd heard of when pricing had gone wrong or when it had gone right. And there's a lot of different philosophies around pricing. So that was really where I started in terms of actually thinking about how to produce the course, what would be the most valuable content for the course. Um, Obviously, we could create like a whole week of content just on pricing. So it's like, what can we fit in a couple hours? that would allow someone to really unlock the opportunity to work on pricing themselves, but also, you know, be meaningful enough that they have something they can work with. Awesome. Yeah. So obviously pricing is one of the most important parts of a product. Like just in general, it's one of the first things that customers will look at when they're thinking about purchasing something. Um, so Clearly, there's a lot to a pricing strategy and it's like incredibly important. But how do you get started with creating a pricing strategy? Like what advice would you give to someone who's looking to build it from scratch? Yeah, I think one of the most unique things about pricing within an organization, whether you're a SaaS company or you're a physical product, is that no one really wants to own pricing. Well, at least this is my experience. It's like everyone wants to have a say in price. And everyone has an opinion, but no one wants to raise their hand and be like, I'll be the team or I'll be the person that will own and be accountable for pricing, optimizing it, a new strategy. So honestly, just having the conversation, whether it's amongst the executive team or the leadership team, whether it's in your own product marketing team, just raising your hand and saying, hey, I think there is an opportunity to work on our pricing. I think our pricing's broken. I have some data point that's, that's saying that it's not doing what we want it to do. That honestly is the first place to start because 
rarely will someone hand you a pricing project in my experience. Sometimes, you know, if you have a board of directors, sometimes the board will push you to experiment with pricing, but internally from teams, it's usually a lot of like, oh, not me. So, you know, as a product marketer, our role is to be in the data, right? To understand who are our customers? How are they using our product? How are they buying from us? Who's leaving us? And as you're doing all of this research as part of your regular job, you're going to unearth different insights. And so I always say, if one of those insights leads you to believe that optimizing your pricing will lead to better um, business impacts or impacts with a customer, then that's a great data point to bring forward. Um, this could be, oh, hey, we've noticed that like no one is expanding up package. And maybe how you discover that is your product marketer who's responsible for product adoption of a feature that is gated in a higher plan, right? So maybe you have three in-market plans, your feature is only available on the, the third plan, and you're having a hard time getting adoption because actually most of the customer base doesn't even have access to it. And so you're starting to dig in to be like, okay, why can't I get adoption? Oh, it's because we don't have enough people moving up plan. I wonder why that is. Maybe we need a new pricing strategy. And so you can see how like it wasn't that person's job to do pricing, but they've now discovered an insight that they can bring to their product marketing leader who can then bring to the leadership team to say, hey, pricing's not working for us. Let's overhaul it or let's build a new strategy. I find that really interesting, actually, that you say that nobody really wants to take charge, I guess, because it's so important that people are afraid to, you know, like, if you're just one team you only have like a certain amount of insights like from your customer so yeah i think so and i think there's this like fear of like pricing is hard we all know that pricing is hard if you read any pricing study more often than not we get it wrong you know and there is no right answer even when you're shipping a new pricing strategy like you need to go into it assuming you're going to be continuously optimizing and you're not going to get it right right out of the gate and so I think that comes with a lot of pressure and because there isn't always clear ownership, people are just like, well, there's pressure. Maybe I don't have the full skill set to execute on this. Do I want that level of visibility? There's a lot of anxiety I hear from people when I talk to them about pricing. Yeah, that's really interesting. Thank you. So I think with your course anyway, like it's a good starting point for someone who like perhaps needs more confidence in like taking yeah. like taking control of the pricing strategy yeah that's exactly it like i say all this because it's a fear that exists but i think it's unfounded in most cases right if i talk to people who have taken that jump and have actually leaned into doing pricing whether it's you know really taking ownership of pricing a new feature that's part of their portfolio whether it's, you know, even running a promotion or a complete pricing overhaul, they start to get confidence really quickly because you start to learn, hey, there's frameworks I can apply that make a lot of sense. Hey, this is actually just about having an experimental mindset. And the more that I think in that way, the more I'm released from this fear of like getting it right. Um, and hey, and this is what I talk about in the course, the number one thing you need to do when working on a pricing project is form a pricing committee, right? Like you cannot be successful as just one product marketer or, or one product marketing team, you need the finance team who's going to support you from that financial uh, business casing, right? You need the sales or go-to-market teams who are really talking to customers every day and can tell you what they're hearing and even test with you what's going to land. You need the product team to make sure you can actually build or gate the way that you're thinking about doing it. And so once people start to see, oh, there's frameworks and templates, 
and B, I'm not in it alone. And it's not expected that I be in it alone. I think people start to get a lot more excited in it and they turn that like anxiety into excitement. Awesome. Thank you. That's really helpful. Um, so just moving on slightly, I was thinking about how me, like personally as a customer, one of the things that will urge me to perhaps buy a product is if there's um like a discount on it you know it's like one of the easiest ways to like get someone to purchase a product so what is your advice um for introducing price promotions and discounts without damaging your product uh your profits sorry yeah and there's two things to consider it's like we want to make sure that profitability is still strong but we also want to make sure that perception of value is also not taking a hit and so there's kind of two things to consider from the profit perspective, this is really going to depend on your industry. So if you're in like physical goods, then you're probably going to have a lower profit margin than say if you're in a SaaS product, right? And so there you really need to understand what your profitability is, like how much room do you have? You know, work with your finance team to understand, okay, the scope of all of my promotions has to be within 10%, let's say, because anything lower and it's just not going to make sense. Or, you know, maybe if you're giving a discount, you're actually decreasing your customer acquisition cost, right? Because it's going to be cheaper to get someone. So maybe you can take some of those savings and put that into the discount. Either way, that's going to be definitely more of like a financial calculation. In SaaS, you know, short-term promotions will rarely take a hit on profitability only because, you know, profit margins in SaaS are often like 70, 80% or more. But I think that's where really perception of value is important. And so when I think about it, like, how do we think about promotions and discounts? I think it is damaging to a brand and a product to have it always on promo, right? Customers get used to that. They're like, oh, well, I know every month there's going to be some promo, so I'm just going to wait until then. And then they start to anchor that that promo price is actually the real value of the product. And when it's not on promo, we're being overcharged for it, right? I do think, though, that we can use promos in really intelligent ways. So we can either do it a few ways. First of all, there's definitely some seasonality where it makes sense to do promos. Um, a lot of brands do them for Black Friday, for example. Um, I love the trend right now, absolutely, of brands not doing it for Black Friday and kind of doing a statement of saying, like, we don't want to support consumerism, so we're not going to. It's very interesting. Um, I think that they're actually going to see some positive benefits out of that as well as being different. But one of the other things you can think about with promos is like cohort-based promos. So rather than sticking like a discount on your pricing page for the world to see, how do we think about what groups of customers, whether it's trialers or prospects or even existing customers, are behaving in a way that leads you to believe that they would benefit from a, a promotion? And so, for example, maybe you have a 30-day trial, you get a couple thousand trialers every month, and you see that there's a cohort of trialers who have a few things in common and they make it to the end of the trial and they're quite engaged in trial as opposed to other people, but they're just not converting. Perhaps they're like, oh, they actually need a bit more time with us. We need to lower that barrier to entry. That's a really great group where via email, you can offer them a discount or a promo to be like, hey, for the next three months, get it 50% off. So you're not damaging your uh you know, perception of value, you're really not taking a huge hit on profit because you're not giving it to everyone, but you're leveraging promotions to drive, you know, a cohort of customers forward, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you. Um, 
So we've spoken a bit about, um, like before this podcast, we spoke about value-based pricing and usage-based pricing because they're like yeah. two of the most popular forms of pricing strategy. Um, could you, for the listener, explain the difference between the two and whether you find one more effective than the other? Yeah, that's a great question. They totally go hand in hand. And I think you the way I think about it is that usage-based pricing is like, a sub-pricing model of value-based pricing. So we'll start with value-based pricing and then we'll double-click on usage-based. Value-based pricing is really about anchoring the price that a customer pays or the unit with which a customer pays around the value that they're extracting from your product. And so um, trying to give a... The opposite of this would be just feature differentiation. Say there's three pricing tiers and the only difference between each tier is that you get different product functionality, right? Maybe in the middle tier, you unlock more privacy, more you know, single sign on, uh, more deep of, deeper integration. And then the final tier, you unlock service, a dedicated CSM, something like that. That would be feature differentiated pricing. Value-based pricing would be spending time understanding what's the value metric that customer value is linked to. So how is someone using your product to drive that value? I can give an example from Unbounce, which is where I used to work previously. So at Unbounce, we used to price based on the number of landing pages that someone had. But what we discovered was that actually the number of landing pages that someone created had absolutely no link to the value that they extracted from Unbounce. They could have one landing page and they could have 100,000 visitors to that landing page, or they could have 100 landing pages and have the same 100,000 visitors, right? And so what we actually found was that that was not an effective value metric. What the right value metric was, was conversion. And so um, they would say, yeah, I was successful with amounts if I was able to drive more conversions using your product. And so what we did was we still had some light feature differentiation because as we moved up package, we wanted to increase the depth of which you use our product. But really we anchored on number of conversions as the value metric that moved you up. So that's value-based pricing conceptually. Usage-based pricing is uh, a double click into the value metric. Uh, and actually the unbounce one is a good example. So with the unbounce ones, with the conversion-based pricing, we actually gave a range of conversions that you could get within each tier. So let's say you get up to a thousand conversions in the first tier, up to 10,000 in the second and so on. Usage-based pricing would say, I'm only gonna charge you when you get a conversion. I'm not gonna give you this range. I'm just gonna charge you for that. MailChimp is a great example of this. They were really early users of, uh, from a software perspective of usage-based pricing. So it used to be for every send that you send in MailChimp, every contact that then you would get charged, right? Uh, your phone bill is another great example of this. I mean, today, most packages are fairly comprehensive, but remember like when we were growing up, we actually had to pay per text message that we said or pay per minute that you're on the phone. All of that is usage-based. The, the way that it comes together is that you can't charge for usage if you don't have the right value metric, right? And that's why I'd say that usage-based is really a double click into value-based. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. Like, it's just, okay. it's so interesting because you you don't even think about just how like in-depth all of the different strategies are and like how you think about them in terms of your target customer. Um, mm -hmm. It's just so interesting. 
Um, one of the things I find really interesting is um, like the ethics surrounding like selling a product. So I spoke with Alex McDonnell about um, in the competitive intelligence episode about ethics to do with competitive intelligence. And one of the like, I guess the subsections of that is competitive pricing. Um, and there's like ethical dilemmas to that, like price fixing and collusion. What mm-hmm. steps do you think that people can take to ensure that they avoid the ethical dilemmas? Yeah. Yeah, this is such an interesting question. I think as an individual contributor or if someone like accepting a job somewhere on a product marketing team, this is why it's really important as you're going through the job process to understand the values of a company, right? Because like this type of philosophy goes all the way up to the top. Like if you have a leadership team who thinks it's okay to do price fixing or wants to be in cahoots with competitors, then that's a completely different philosophy than those who believe that, you know, we should put the customer first and um, be a bit more moral, right? And so I think finding the right company that supports your own philosophies and morals is really important and like taking time in the interview process to do that. Like you're interviewing your employer or potential employer as much as they're interviewing you. So that's number one. So I'll just get that off. It's interesting because I personally have not experienced this. Like most of the companies that I have worked for are within very open markets, meaning I usually work uh, for for companies where our customer is an SMB or a solopreneur or a consumer. And so our pricing pages are always public. Most of our information is public as opposed to say a sales-led go-to-market motion where everything is hidden behind the website. You have to talk to a sales rep. And so... In that way, like we're always aware of what our competitors are doing. Yes, we can make some adjustments based on that. And we do find, oh, hey, our competitor copied our pricing model. Oh, hey, we used to call our plan that. But because everything's publicly available, it's almost like the public holds us all accountable, if that makes sense, versus, oh, if everything's behind closed doors, then it's easy to call up your competitor and be like, hey, are you seeing like willingness to pay to go up? Should we all raise our prices? I think, again, like it just comes back to doing the right thing and keeping the customer in mind. I also will say like, from I mean, from a competitive perspective, Alex knows way more than I do, but from a competitive perspective, it's like, yes, you have competitors, but also you don't have competitors. That's how I think about it. It's like, you are a unique solution for your customer. And while price, whether it's the value metric or the price point or what you're offering, is anchored around what others are doing, it's also not. Like your customers or prospects are coming to you for a very specific solution. Otherwise they would be going to your competitor, right? And it's worth your time to figure out exactly why they're coming to you versus someone else. And then figuring out how much are they willing to pay for that one thing. And so like you might have one or two things different than your competitor, but maybe those are the things that allow you to charge three times more than your competitor. So I would say with competitive pricing, it's like use it as a guardrail to understand what the market will hold, but honestly, don't spend too much time thinking about it. Awesome. Yeah, I think um, I guess the overall uh, thing is just transparency is perhaps mm-hmm. one of the best ways to go about things and also just using your head a bit. <laughs> totally. And I actually love that you just brought up transparency because I think pricing feels like a scary topic. We talked about for product marketers, but also for customers, 
like for buyers, for, you know, sales reps, for the marketing teams. And so I think the more as product marketers, we build a strategic pricing strategy. So we're not just slapping on a price point. We're not just slapping packages together. But if we do the work to understand the value that a customer is looking for and extracting from your product, if we build the right packages that enable them to grow, and then we build a narrative around that. And in the narrative, we're transparent that actually unlocks a really healthy pricing conversation. And so going back to the conversions one with Unbound, we actually discovered that that was so deeply connected to our strategy of the business. We were trying to build a category called conversion intelligence that we actually talked about pricing and how we came up with our pricing model, how we came up with our value metric, why we changed it from landing pages to that as part of our manifesto for our category, because we're like, we want to be 100% transparent. We've done a lot of work. This is actually customer first, not business first. And so the more honest we are, the more interesting conversations we can have. And so, you know, no one is going to say that we copied a competitor or we're colluding with someone because we're like, read what we wrote. Like we've been talking about this for three years, you know? Um, so I think that you can actually use it to your advantage as part of your category narrative for sure. Yeah, totally. And I think it also just adds into um developing that relationship with your customer because if you're being mm -hmm. honest with them and they know everything about you then they're going to feel more like trusting of you a hundred percent a hundred percent yeah awesome thank you um so we've spoken about obviously like building a strategy but once you've got that in place what are some of the steps that you can take to implement it and actually introduce the new price to the market yeah great question um one of the things I always say is as you're building your strategy, take the time to be like experimenting and testing along the way. What you don't want to do is you don't want to do some research. So say you do some qual, you do some quant, you discover, like, let's just say you're doing value-based pricing, you discover a new value metric, and then you, you know, build a plan, build the product, build the price, and then you ship it and you discover that, well, while the qual and quant was nice, you didn't actually talk to enough customers or... Um, you know, we can do everything right. And once you put it out there in the public, it just something happens and an all best intentions fall apart, right? That's from my experience. So I say as part of your implementation strategy, experiment early. Do not wait until the end. That's number one. Um, that could be just experimenting with a small, small cohort of existing customers. It could be putting up like a small pricing study on your website and just directing a really small amount of traffic to it. It really depends on what you're trying to test for. But otherwise, when it comes time to implementation, honestly, run it like a product launch because it kind of is, right? So build a launch team. This might be different than your pricing committee because the pricing committee is probably a group of strategists who are head down with a particular focus. The launch team might include some of the same folks, but is more like a typical product launch team. So you have someone from each go-to-market team, you have the value proposition of the pricing packages that you're trying to roll out, right? We have that narrative written, like what's our positioning and messaging. We have the cohorts to which we want to go out to. Maybe, well, probably you're going to roll it out to the public in a different way than your customers. Are you going to um, allow your customers to stay on their current plans or are you going to migrate them to the new plans? Are you going to give them a, a period of time to do that? There's a lot of like customer management that has to happen in go-to-market for pricing that people don't think about. Um, how much churn are you willing to take on by rolling out new pricing, right? That's going to change what your customer strategy is. So actually forming that pricing like launch team 
is kind of the best way to implement. And then as I said, just like go in with the expectation that it's not a one-time launch. And so build a bit of like an optimization timeline. I actually usually recommend, and I talk about this in the course as well, a monetization roadmap. You know, the average company, I love this stat, it comes from Profit Wealth, Patrick Campbell. The average company spends less than 10 hours a year on pricing, which is crazy. But if you have taken, you know, the decision to prioritize pricing as part of your business, whether it's part of your product marketing function or the business overall, and you're going to spend more than 10 hours, build a monetization roadmap. This could be that new pricing strategy, but it could also be optimizing other things or optimizing the strategy post-launch and kind of anchor on that monetization roadmap the same way you'd anchor on a product roadmap or a campaign roadmap. So building that optimization roadmap as part of your go-to-market planning and then kind of building in the cycles of implementation that allow you to be protected from any crazy changes that might happen to your business based on the pricing. Does that make sense? That does. That's a wild statistic. <laughs> like, it's crazy. <laughs> it's actually crazy. And I think it goes back because people are afraid, people don't really own it, and we're also busy with other things. But when we frame it that way, it's like no one's spending time on pricing. Uh, Profitable also found that like pricing actually has the highest impact when you think about the percent changes from acquisition or retention or monetization, monetization has the biggest unlock. So no one's doing it. It has the highest upside. And like, it's a really fun activity. Like I love it. I nerd out on pricing. And so it's like, it's an opportunity for product marketers to raise their hand, step up and own something that's going to have a huge impact for the business, a huge impact on customers, and is going to be really fun to do. Yeah, a hundred percent. I totally agree with you. Um, Okay, interesting. So you've touched on a bit about um, like post price launch um, and how uh, you need to like review and implement uh, changes then. Um, but how often should you be looking at that post price? Because it's so easy to, you know, just like put it out there and not think about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, how often should you be looking at it? Yeah, so it depends really is the answer. I think if you're going to commit to doing pricing, you should at least be reviewing the metrics to see if it's working for you continuously the same way you would review any other business metric. But this is going to vary based on what you're trying to do. So for example, perhaps before, like the example we gave, you were having problem with Ascension. You couldn't move people up package. And so that's maybe the business problem you're trying to solve for with pricing this time. Well, then I would say for the next three, six, nine months, track Ascension. Are you actually seeing new prospects coming in, they're choosing the plan, and then they're sending up within the period of time that you expected. Are you seeing that within the customer base? If you're not, you need to go back and optimize. Or is it because they don't know it's available? Like there could be a couple of reasons. Um, maybe you're trying to unlock a new market. And so actually you've introduced a lower price point and you had previously. Great, let's measure. Are we actually getting the market share that we thought we would? How profitable are those customers for the business? Yes, we can bring in more of them, but they're at a lower price point. Does that mean they're going to have a higher churn rate? Um, so it really depends on what you're measuring and probably how long it takes to measure that. Like churn is going to take longer to measure the impact of than conversion, right? Um, that said, I always think with any launch I do, the first three months after a launch, we need to be like highly measuring the impact of what we've done. Let's say that you've spent six months after launch, you're like, 
hey, actually everything was good. We made a few tweaks, but like the metrics that we wanted are going up. Things seem to be stabilized. Like we think it's working. Then you kind of move into the maintenance phase, which um, could be some pricing experiments if you want to continue to get more unlocked. But let's say you're like, we don't have time for that. We just want to maintain, but we want to make sure that it stays refreshed. That's where I think a couple of things could happen. It's like, if a new competitor comes into the market, that's usually when I'll look at my pricing. If a current competitor meaningfully changes their pricing, then I'll reinvestigate my pricing. If we're trying to unlock a new market, so say we have a new strategy that's come down from the board or from the exec team, and it's like, we want to go up market, we want to go down market, or we're going into an adjacent market, then I'll look at my pricing strategy. If there's been a merger or an acquisition that meaningfully changes the shape of your business, I'll look at my pricing. Like there's kind of a few major events that would definitely trigger for me an instant, let's do this over again. Otherwise, quarterly, if you can be kind of just like keeping a pulse on it, you're in way better shape than probably any of your other competitors, as we've already discussed. Awesome. Thank you. Um, Based on what you're saying, it sounds like pricing goes hand in hand with a lot of your other product marketing strategies like market research competitive intelligence like just keep an eye on what everyone else is doing just so that you can keep on changing as you see fit yeah exactly that's totally right awesome thank you um so i could continue asking my questions for ages because i find this really interesting but uh i'm gonna pass it on to the community because we have some questions from them Um, okay so are you ready? I'm ready. Awesome. Okay. So the first question someone asked was, what are the areas of pricing that I, as a product marketer, can influence without totally taking over the pricing cycle? Yeah, love that. Um, I think, first of all, some really obvious ones that people don't think about, like the names of the pricing packages, right? Usually the names of the pricing packages are like arbitrarily named. Um, so the name of the pricing package, if you have a description under that name, that's like, this package is for blue, 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 you know, that is a great place to start. Cause a, usually no one's thought about it. No one cares about it. And it can have a high lift. Imagine you're a consumer coming to that pricing page. You want to clearly resonate with one of those packages and know which one is for you. So starting by just optimizing that as part of your regular positioning and messaging work as a product marketer, great, like low lift high impact thing that could add a lot of value. So that's one. The other one that comes to me is if you're a product marketer that owns a portfolio, like a product portfolio or a product line of business, just starting to bring some pricing acumen to the conversations that you're having with the product team. And so in my experience, most teams, as we're thinking about shipping and releasing new value, it's like at the end where we kind of say, oh, what package might this go in? or the default is just give it to everyone. And maybe that is still the right answer, but as a product marketer, why not offer to conduct a small willingness to pay study for every major release that you're bringing out, right? Uh, it takes just a couple minutes to prepare the survey question. Uh, you could do a market survey, you could do a customer survey using a simple tool like Typeform, and you'll be able to bring some interesting insights back to the team. That takes a couple hours of your time, but could again, add a lot of impact. and. I think start to show your value that then you can be brought into the broader pricing conversations later. Awesome. Um, I lied. I'm going to interject quickly because you okay. <laughs> you mentioned willingness to pay a couple of times. And would you mind just mentioning to the listener like what this is? Yeah. 
Absolutely. Willingness to pay is like a core concept when thinking about price. And it's, it's as simple as it sounds, which is what is your audience, whether like your prospects, your customers willing to pay for the value that you deliver to them? And now I'll kind of go on my little spiel that I usually do, which is most people, when they think about willingness to pay, they go up to someone and they're like, hey, how much would you be willing to pay for this? And almost every time someone's going to give you a lowball answer because A, like they probably haven't thought about it and you're asking them for an immediate answer and B, they want a deal, right? And so there's a couple of different ways that we can actually assess willingness to pay uh, on a deeper level. One that's very popular is a conjoint, but this is where people really start to get scared off. Conjoint and very complex research method. You definitely need a data team or a research team to support you and also some software. But I love a scrappy little method called the Van Westendorp. I talk about it in the course and I, I put all of the questions that you need to ask, but it's four questions that you can ask. And so this is what I always encourage my product marketers to do for their product portfolios. So you ask four questions. Okay, at what price would this be too expensive that you would never consider buying? At what price would it be getting expensive, but you would still consider buying? At what price would it be a bargain and basically like a steal of a deal? And then at what price would it be so cheap that you would actually question the quality of the product and not buy it? And then basically you get the four answers back and you add everyone's together and you come up with a chart that shows you the optimal price band of that willingness to pay, which is essentially the averages that people said of just getting expensive and just um, getting inexpensive, but not uh, like devalued. And so then you can kind of optimize within that willingness to pay range. But yeah, that's essentially willingness to pay. Awesome. Thank you. Right. So anyway, back to the questions. <laughs> um, so number two, what are some hands-on skills pricing analysts should be good at as they start their new role in B2B SaaS? Yeah, I think a couple of things. First one, actually research methodologies because pricing has to be rooted in research. And so understanding how uh, to perform quantitative and qualitative research is really key. You know, it depends on the size of the company that this person is joining. Uh, they may be a large user research team that they can leverage, or maybe there's no user research team at all. But even in the case where there's a large user research team, you want to be able to A, ask for the right research methodology. You want to be able to participate in drafting the questions and even sitting in on some of those sessions, right? And you want to be able to understand the results well enough to then articulate them to your other stakeholders. So that's one that probably people don't think about that is key. The other one is like what I generally call business acumen, but like what is your ability to take a few data points and build like a back of all below business case in Excel? Like it's a, it seems really basic, but it's crazy again, how afraid people are of Excel, especially as marketers, right? Um, but this is so critical because you need to start calculating things like what is the range of the limit? Um, what ratio of my customer base do I think can fall into each package? And yes, you're going to probably have a finance team that you can work with, but you want to be able to play around with this data yourself to kind of get a general shape of the recommendation before you finalize it with finance. So that's another another big skill, I would say. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I totally agree. Excel is scary. You need to be <laughs> 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 Right. So um, our final question. Um, 
sadly, but obviously I've got to let you get on with your day. <laughs> um, number three, do you have a methodology to measure the impact on customer level loyalty based on changes in pricing? Huh. That's an interesting one. Um, I don't have a particular methodology as this person has asked for. Um, how I have usually approached it, I'll share that, is I've usually approached it through the level of um, nobody likes a price change. Like, think about us as consumers. Like, Netflix raises my price, and I'm just like, well, that's a bit annoying. But then that's my first thought. My second thought is like, well, yeah, they're a business. And my third thought is like, um, am I comfortable with this price or not? Is it still the right value exchange? And in the case of Netflix, yes, right? So I think about that. Like, I'm not aiming for likability when I deliver a pricing change to my customer base, right? Because like, no customer wants a price increase. <laughs> like, it just, of course. But what I am aiming for is, does the value resonate with the customer? And do they feel like the exchange of value is still correct? How would I answer those questions? The first one is through actual behavior, which I would consider churn, right? Do we see, I always measure like based on the cohort that we're running, um, rolling this uh, pricing change out to, do we see changes in churn rate post pricing increase, right? So that's number one. And if we saw major change in churn, then we would kind of like stop the presses, take a step back, talk to some customers, see where we got it wrong, and then adjust. The other one is customer sentiment, which I think is more what this person is asking about. And this is really hard to measure. And so um, I usually just say like, how are people responding to the messaging? So I try to be really transparent. So we send out an email to the customers. We explain like what we did and why. As I mentioned, we actually published that whole manifesto post talking about our pricing as well. Like it was a whole blog post about that. So what kind of comments do we get back? What are customers sharing on social around this? And how do we address that? Also, maybe like support ticket volume. Are we getting a higher number of support tickets? Um, maybe there's like confusion about how to apply it. That's fine. But the third one being like, oh, I no longer like this product. I don't feel like the value exchange is right. So those are kind of the three metrics I measure. But I don't know if that's going to answer that person's question. So sorry, listener, if you are not happy with my answer. <laughs> I don't know. I think that was really helpful anyway. Um, okay. It was a it was a tricky question to answer really as yes. my methodology. So <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Tamara. I've really enjoyed this chat. Um just to wrap this up, do you have um a place where people can reach you for questions and do you have anything else that you'd like to add just before we sign off? Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Uh, the one thing I'll say before I sign off is that I kind of urge everyone to consider their customer segmentation before they do pricing, because if you don't know who you're pricing for, your pricing project is probably going to fall flat. So I also have a course on segmentation that I did with the PMA that I encourage folks to check out. Um, yeah, if you want to reach me, I'm always available on LinkedIn where I talk about product marketing. I try to give really clear tips on how to execute the how of product marketing. Uh, also, you can find me on my website at just tomorrowgarminski.com and I have a bunch of resources there as well. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Bye. So there we have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you'd like to learn more about the pricing or segmentation master's courses that Tamara teaches, check it out on our website at www.productmarketingalliance.com or check out the show notes for more information. Thanks for listening and see you next time.